Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. And not only is he God, but according to the Bible, he is sovereign. He is the supreme being of the universe. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 affirm it. They say, for in Jesus, the Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus Christ is God. Colossians 2.10, he is the head, we are the body, he is over all rule, he is more powerful than any king on the earth, he is over all authority. Why? Because he placed all who are in authority in authority. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God, which is fully God, the one and only God. He is 100% man, fully man, the perfect man, in one person forever. He is the uniquely born one because there is no one else that is God and man in one person forever. And nothing happens in the universe without his permission. There is no one like him, not now, not ever. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord, and we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God, first and foremost for unbelievers, to give them the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. It's also for the benefit of Christians as well, those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. And there is only one way to get a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord, and that is through the study of His Word. It doesn't come from you picking up some book of of tools and tricks and tips once in a while, and reading a couple passages, a couple verses out of context from the Bible, and thinking that that makes you spiritual, and then posting all these goofy things on the internet about, oh, thanks to you, Lord, and all those things that don't mean one thing. Because the real question you have to ask yourself is, when you meet him face to face, if you're a believer in Christ, are you going to know who it is you're meeting? And if you meet him face-to-face as an unbeliever, I guarantee you're not going to like what he has to say to you. So it's really valuable for you to get to know the Lord, and you get to know him by knowing his mind. You get to know him by the study of the Word of God. 
And because the word of God is truth, it's something that you can count on. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus himself says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If you want a sobering uh, passage to read, read Matthew 24. It's sobering, where he is predicting exactly what's going to happen in the future during the tribulation period. And it is sobering. And he ends it with this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How comforting to know that we have a single truth that is the compass for our lives. And we have God the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, to guide us into the depth of meaning contained in the truth. It is God the Holy Spirit who reveals the Lord and his thoughts to us. Yet, say again? The microphones? Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's switch them. All right, so how comforting to know that we have a single truth that is a compass for our lives. And we have God the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, to guide us into the depth of meaning contained in the truth. It is God the Holy Spirit who reveals the Lord and his thoughts to us. Yet we have to be aware of false teachers teaching false things. So we implore you to always compare what you learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11 say this, The brethren at Thessalonica immediately immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
And now these Berean Jewish believers were more noble-minded than those believers in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things that Paul and Silas were saying were so. And that's exactly what we want you to do. We want you to examine the things we teach to see if the Bible says that these things are so. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31 says this, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. The Lord Jesus Christ defeated Satan strategically at the cross. But God is fair. He is allowing Satan and his fallen angels, one-third of the angels who did not come back to the reconciliation offer, all angels fell, one-third of them did not take the reconciliation offer that was offered by the Lord. And he is allowing Satan and his fallen angels to keep appealing their case against God in heaven, even as we speak. That's right. Satan's residence is in heaven as we speak. And as believers in Christ, we look forward to the next major event in Satan's journey to the lake of fire, the time when he and his demon angels are expelled from heaven once and for all time during the tribulation period of human history. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 talks about it. It says, Then I, John, the person who wrote the book of Revelation, heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, you saints, you believers in Christ, has been thrown down from heaven. He who accuses the saints before our God both day and night. What a happy day that will be. All right, today's Bible lesson. I'll send you all my love every week in a letter sealed with a kiss. Today is our last lesson. Go ahead. Go ahead. Though we gotta say goodbye for the summer, darling, I promise you this, I'll send you all my love every day in a Sealed with a kiss Am I on? Good. We switched out the mic, so we shouldn't have that popping problem anymore. But anyway, this is the today is our last lesson in First Corinthians, and so you know I'll send you all my love every day in a letter sealed with a kiss. You Bobby Vinton fans probably weeping right now uh, as you remember that song. What a great song! But the end of this letter calls for us to look back at what we learned in our study over the last two years and to put our learning into perspective. What did God really want Paul to do by having him write this letter to the Corinthians? What did God want us to learn by studying it? In today's lesson, we'll finish chapter 16 and then we'll take a few moments to reflect on what God has poured into us through our study of 1 Corinthians. 
Well, let's hear some music. Happy Father's Day. How does the world view Father's Day? Here's an article title that says it all. Father's Day weekend isn't automatically a time to celebrate. Dads must earn their holiday. <laughs> Let me repeat that because I don't think you heard me. And if you did hear me, you're in shock. Father's Day weekend isn't automatically a time to celebrate. Dads must earn their holiday. I have never heard such a ridiculous thing said about mothers. So in our culture, we revere mothers and we reserve the right to bag on dads. Kind of funny. To be sure, a relationship with parents can be traumatic. We don't necessarily have a relationship with someone simply because we have the same blood running through our veins. Some parents actually violate the trust bestowed on them by God when he gave them children. Simultaneously, we know that a perfect God gave us perfect parents for us, regardless of our opinions on the matter. He gave us the parents that would teach us valuable lessons we needed to learn, regardless of how painful some of those lessons are. And what we want to do is we want to go into this whole culture in the world. Well, I really forgive my parents. Forgive your parents. Yeah, forgive people who change 5,000 of your crap diapers. Yeah, be sure to get that on your list of things to do. Put that on your bucket list. And so I think as kids, we forget a lot the sacrifices that parents make. I was thinking about my mom because on... Uh, on Father's Day, I always honored my mom, too, because she was both mother and father to me. And I just stopped to think yesterday about all the things that I remember about her. And if I were to start telling you those things I remember about her, we, the lesson would be over in about five or six hours. Because of all the things that she did and all of the things she stood for and all of the things she poured into me. And that is parents. You know, and our parents aren't perfect. My mom was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I never thought it was something valuable to look at her faults. I just looked at the things that she did that were phenomenal. And for a woman to be 38 years old, have two divorces under her belt, have two kids under the age of 11 two of them under the age of two, and just to be able to get up and put one foot in front of the other every day was amazing. And there are a lot of fathers who go unsung. You know, they provide for their kids, they love their kids, and then at a point they have to suffer the wrath of their kids where their kids feel the need to tell them all the things about themselves that are wrong and are bad while simultaneously ignoring all the things that they're doing that are absolutely moronic and dishonorable. So this is a real day to celebrate. And I want to calibrate you so that you celebrate dads. Because, yeah, they, you know, dads, you know, we're the all shucks, kick the ground, humble guys who just put our nose to the grindstone and work. But we have feelings, too. And we enjoy being appreciated, even though it, we, don't, we don't need the fanfare. But there are a lot of men in this world who have done a hell of a job with their kids. And so, since God gave us the perfect parents to teach us, we should honor what he says to us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. He says, honor your father and your mother, 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. When you honor your parents, your life is extended. God honors you back when you honor them. And there are more good men who are fathers than we hear about. We've got quite a gathering of amazing fathers here in Barah Ministries, men that I respect deeply and men I pray for daily. God expects us to respect our parents, respect that includes unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. If you hold a grudge against your father, maybe it's time for you to take the biblical view and demonstrate honor. Is it hard? Yes. Probably as hard as it was for the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us on a cross. Can a slave do less than his master? Here's Luther Vandross with a song to honor fathers all over the world. It's called Dance With My Father. Enjoy the song and enjoy the celebration of fathers that we engage in on this amazing day. Sometimes I 
others. Am I on? Good. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you that our status in your eyes is not at all based on our sins, which your Son, our Lord, paid for at the cross. Instead, how you view us is based on your own integrity, on your graciousness in overlooking our mistakes, on your forgiveness of our transgressions, and on your unconditional love. Thank you for always calling us to do what seems impossible to us and for delivering the impossible things we ask in prayer. Thank you for being the perfect father, a father who was a planner, a provider, a protector, who was fully present in our lives. Father, as much as it is up to us, let our lives be guided by the example of reconciliation that our Lord modeled at the cross. Help us to see others as you do. Help us to honor our fathers that it may go well with us. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, I'll send you all my love every week in a letter, sealed with a kiss. Though we gotta say goodbye for the summer, darling, I promise you this, I'll send you all my love. That's what the Apostle Paul has been doing for the last two years. He's been teaching us the same things he taught to the believers in first century Corinth. Under God's direction, he has been filling us with truth, that is, to act as a guide, first and foremost, for our thinking, and secondarily, for our conduct. It's been an amazing journey. So let's look at the final passage of study, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 24. Here's what it says. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. All that you do must be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus, that fellow, uh, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. 1 Corinthians 16, 16. I urge you also, be subject to such as these, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. 1 Corinthians 16, 17. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, Achicus, sorry about that, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. 1 Corinthians 16, 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers and sisters greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 21. The greeting is in my own hand, that of Paul. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. 1 Corinthians 16, 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
1 Corinthians 16, 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's take a look at what Paul is saying as he finishes this amazing letter. When at first glance, it's just a bunch of sign-off. But in inspection, there's enough information in that passage to teach it for about five weeks. I'm going to spare you that. Amen? Because I'm excited to get us started on Colossians, which is our next study, where we study the supremacy of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Cannot wait to get into that. But here's what Paul is saying. The end of this letter calls us to look back at what we've learned for two years in our study of 1 Corinthians. Gives us a chance to put our learning into perspective. What did God really want Paul to do by having him write this letter to the Corinthians? He did what all great parents do. He trained us. God wanted Paul to correct error in the Corinthian church, and that's what God wants us to do in our lives as well. Correct error. And that's what God does for Christians so that we stay on the path that he has created for us. You remember it says that he will direct our path straight. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will direct your path straight. So he wants us to stay on the straight path and not to veer off the straight path with our own understanding of things. So Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 say this, My son, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. What is reproof? It's correction. It's someone very tersely instructing you to move from off the path back onto path. Hebrews 12, 6, For those whom the Lord loves, he also disciplines, and he scourges with a whip every child whom he receives to himself. Okay, so what does that mean? That the Lord disciplines us, see? And the discipline of the Lord is evidence of sonship. Well, what what does Satan say discipline is? The Lord's coming down on you. The Lord doesn't care about you. The Lord's out to punish you. The Lord is out to hurt you. That is not the description of an amazing parent. just isn't. I resent it any time that anybody even infers that the Lord is a punishing God. He is not. He is a grace-oriented God. He's a forgiving God. He is a loving God. And he has no interest whatsoever in punishing you. But he has a lot of interest in disciplining you, training you in a character pattern. And we should crave it because it is evidence of sonship because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. See, whom a parent loves, he disciplines. And there are a lot of parents in the world today that do not love their children because they don't have the guts to discipline them. Amen? All right, so Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says this, He who withholds his rod through spankings, he who withholds spankings from his children, hates his child. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. He who withholds his rod through spankings hates his child. But what have we done? Even as Christians, we believe the world. We believe Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock says, you know, you got to give him a time out. People are so stupid that 
they just hear the whole concept of timeout and they give their kids timeouts and they have no idea why timeouts work. Do you know why timeouts work? Because the kid perceives it as a withdrawal of love. It is the most cruel thing that you could ever do to a kid is give a kid a timeout. Oh, you never heard that before, huh? Oh, well, I bet you you never studied the stupid psychology that you're living by. I bet you never picked up a book and looked at a book and saw and asked, what is a timeout all about? And what's the psychology behind a timeout? The psychology behind a timeout is withdrawing love from your child. Does that sound in any way like something that a great parent would do? Answer me. No. It's not something that a great parent would, would do, but nobody's telling you that. And so what do we do as parents? Well, we didn't get a manual. They didn't come with a manual. All they came was loud noises and stinky butts. That's what they came with. And there's nothing in their loud noises begging for food and their stinky butts that teaches us how to deal with them. But God gave us a Bible now, right here in the Bible, in Proverbs 13, 24, it says, He who withholds his rod, withholds spankings, hates his child. But he who loves his child disciplines his child diligently. And people used to always tell me, Oh, your kids are so well-mannered. How do, I mean, how does that happen? I said, they've been threatened. They get spanked. That's how. My mom was the, the queen of discipline. She would tell me, you know, she, she's not a confrontive woman, right? So before we go out, she'd say, if you act up when we get out, I ain't going to say one thing to you at that time. But when we get back home, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> she never, you know what? I was not a kid you had to tell stuff to twice. Let's see. Act right or get killed. Hmm. I didn't have any trouble making that assessment. And she had me on eye control. If I started getting a little bit too loud, she would give me the stink eye. Right? And I would know, okay, I'm up here. I need to bring it here. Now, I don't see that happening with parents today. I don't see it happening. And the stuff that I see happening, I get so mad that I want to discipline the kids for the parents, since they're not. The parent who wants it to be his child's friend hates his child. Hates. And that's one of the things I just, I, I, it just disgusts me to see moms dressing like their teenage daughters and you know, dressing like their kids and trying to get into all the things that their kids are into to be their friend. That's crazy. It's absolute insanity. And the Bible says so. It's not my opinion, although it is my opinion. You aren't hearing any of this in the world, that he who spares the rod hates his child. But go to any airport and you'll see evidence of parents who let their kids talk back to them like their parents are dogs. These same parents wonder why their children are the dredges of society, and they wonder why their kids are staying at home with them until they're 30. Kids aren't stupid. 
you're going to pay for me and not hold me accountable for anything, not make me responsible for anything? I'll take it. Because the world's not nice. When I go out into the world, my bosses actually expect stuff from me. You don't. My bosses actually put me on a PIP, a performance improvement plan, if I don't deliver the results that I'm being paid for. You don't. So kids love staying at home. But kids were meant to launch. Kids were not designed to stay home. They were designed to get out. They were designed to do their seagull best. Fly into your life, eat all your food, and then take a dump on you on your way on the way out. Amen? That's what they're designed to do. You know why I know that that's what they're designed to do? Because that's what they do. So, what is discipline? He whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. What is discipline? It's training in a character pattern. How does God train us in a character pattern? With tribulation. He takes us to the spiritual gymnasium. Righteous parents lay down a character pattern for their children. And the children may not follow. But the righteous parent has a responsibility to train his offspring. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's older, he won't depart from it. They finally get it. God says, through his word, that when I correct error in your life, and this is God talking, it's because I love you, and it's because I'm on your side. It's not because I want to hurt you or punish you. I didn't like spanking my kids. They didn't like it, and I didn't like it. But they didn't like it a lot more than I didn't like it. Amen? Never spank my kids when I was angry. If I was angry, I would just tell him, you're off the hook today because I want to kill you, so I'm not spanking you. But there was a process, a very judicial process. They had an opportunity to talk me out of the spanking because maybe I didn't have all the facts. And sometimes they did. Not often because I'm, I'm a fact finder. I could have been a lawyer, amen? <laughs> so... Anyway, what? It was a blessing when you were able to, yeah, when you were able to talk me out of it. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, I, I remember one time you talked me out of it and you were shocked. I, I don't think you got over that for about a week. Like, wow. You started thinking you could be a lawyer at that point. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 12 says this, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Look at that. What's God's philosophy? I love you. I delight in you. And I'm going to train you in a character pattern. I don't expect you to just figure everything out on your own. Every week as we study, the Lord provides training in a character pattern to demonstrate the continuous action of his love for us. The Lord keeps on loving us every minute of every day. He never takes his eyes off of us. He never, uh, we are never out of his focus. We are never out of his concern. He is never not present with us. He can't be distracted by anything or anyone from paying attention to us. And every week, Paul's letters speak to us to train us in a character pattern. What a gift. The letter to the Corinthians is no exception. 
When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll study the final passage of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Nobody but 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, I'll send you all my love every week in a letter, sealed with a kiss. Say that again. Yeah, I think I'm on. Am I on? Turn up your hearing aid, Grandma. <laughs> so today's Bible lesson, I'll send you all my love every week in a letter, sealed with a kiss. Well, if we're being honest, giving makes us vulnerable. And being vulnerable often hurts. Here in Satan's kingdom, there is always someone to take advantage of our generosity and our vulnerability. Yet in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul encourages us. He says, I, Paul, know for a fact that the sufferings of this present time, both right now and throughout the church age, which the Bible describes as this present evil age, are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that is to be revealed to us who are believers in Christ Jesus. Rest assured that your generosity is being used to tell people throughout the world through the courtesy of the internet that Jesus Christ is God. It's being used to teach the word of God to believers in Christ verse by verse, sometimes face to face. It's being used to spread the good news, the gospel message concerning how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. Thank you for your giving, which supports the distribution of the truth. If you listen to Barah Ministries, please provide financial support to Barah Ministries. You can give via the app, through the website, through the internet, through the mail, through regular contributions automatically sent from your bank account, or when you're here face-to-face. Giving has never been easier. And we certainly appreciate the way you support us. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. We're blessed to have you. Welcome back. Thank you, Pastor. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately I've been seeing a lot, especially when you go to California, I've been seeing a lot. I just have this thought in my head that we, we, we always tend to want what we don't have, just with everything and everything in our lives. You know, I wish I had hair. I don't have hair, you know? I mean, really, I mean, I have some. It's kind of this glorious beard is great, but it's not the same, you know? And, you know, people grow up with curly hair and they wish they had straight hair. Or they have straight hair and they wish they had curly hair. Or they're tall, you know, or they're short and they wish they were tall. Or they're tall and they wish maybe they were a little less tall. You know, finding shoes when you're tall is a pain. So I know some of those guys, you go through doorways or getting in cars and stuff like that, you know, or... You just think about, Pastor mentioned parents. You know, they want to be their kids' friends and not a parent. You know, we want to be these things that we shouldn't be. We, we kind of step outside of our lane. Um, you know, you think about, you know, some people that have kids, they wish they had no kids. And people that don't have kids, they wish they had kids and they don't know how it works. You know, and they have their first kid and they're, they're rethinking it. Like, ugh. We're talking about three, let's stick with one, maybe. And then you got families, they've got 100 kids and they don't, then they, maybe they wish they didn't go down that path and it's 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 funny I mean married people maybe they wish they were single you know and single people wish they were married and they don't they, we always wish these things on ourselves we're not really ready for or something and it's it's very similar to the offering you know like oh man I wish I had the money to give but we already have it we already have the money to give 
And we know that because we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God the Father is able to make all grace abound to you, so that all times, having all sufficiency in everything, you may keep on having an abundance for every good deed. So we're always prepared for it, and we're always set right where we need to be, but we're focusing on other things. I saw a McLaren P1 as I'm driving in Emily's Ford es- you know, the, the Escape. And that McLaren, I mean, I think it's a million-dollar car. It just sounds amazing. It looks amazing. I would love to drive that thing, but I'd probably be in jail. So it's a good thing I don't have the money for that. <laughs> but it's a lot like our church, too. Look what we have here, and we're still desiring for a building. We don't need the building. We have everything we need right here. We have the pastor. We have the ministry. We have this amazing building to collect all of our MP3s, our MP4s. We do podcasts. We've got an app. We're really staged. We're really set to go right now. But that's why we just need to get over the hurdle right here and get over the hump and just keep giving, keep sustaining this ministry. Just keep giving like Pastor does. You know, he's not sending mixed signals like his heart. He's sending a very, a very clear signal that he wants to support this ministry. And I actually grew up, I, had, I have a heart murmur. I grew up with a heart murmur as well. I remember going through that test and they're like, oh, something's wrong with his heart and ended up being something, you know, something simple generally. But, so we just thank you everybody for giving and just remember we have what we need right now. We don't have to reach out for more stuff, you know? We don't have to desire for more things and those things will come. Like Pastor said, it's just be patient in our in our, t- our own timelines. So thank you very much for giving and happy Father's Day. Stingy
and Denny, it's good to have you back. Uh, all the little things that you do for me to make me comfortable in the podium were missing last week while you were gone, and uh, it's good to have you back. I don't have to think about anything. So, uh, children, children, break it up, break it up. My kids are fighting. Today's Bible lesson, I'll send you all my love every week in the letter, sealed with a kiss. A lot of love going on here in Barah Ministries, amen? All right, well, the thing that is missing in most Christian lives and in the lives of the believers in first century Corinth is love. Love for God, which begs the question, do you really know who it is you're worshiping? Love for each other, do you forgive? And love for self. Do you see yourself as God sees you? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this, Keep on being on the alert. And what is being referred to here? Keep on being alert for the coming of the Lord. The next major event in divine history is the rapture of the church, the exit resurrection of the church-age believers. One day, you'll be walking down the street, if you're part of the rapture generation, and you will get plucked off the earth at that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than the eye can blink. Act like men. No, keep on standing firm in the faith. What does that mean? It means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then act like men. And that means act like adults, not children. Be mature, grow up, and be strong using the Lord's might to solve your problems rather than human strength. So let's read that again, because it's a powerful verse that on the surface of it, you'd miss it. Keep on being alert for the coming of the Lord. Keep on standing firm in the faith in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Act like men, not children. Be mature, grow up, and be strong using the Lord's might to solve your problems. Keep on being on the alert as a reminder that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Therefore, we are to be watchful at all times. Why? Because God has an enemy, and his approach to us is to corrode the effectiveness of our spiritual lives. Satan is a corrosive agent. See, those of you who are here in Arizona, you don't understand anything about this corrosive agent stuff. But back in Chicago, when we bought a car... The thing we were always worried about is that eventually the snow was going to rust out the car, that it was going to corrode the car. And so we would buy rust proofing when we'd buy the car so that it wouldn't corrode the car. Well, that's exactly what Satan does to your spiritual life. He corrodes it. You stand on victorious ground because of Christ's work at the cross, and he wants to corrode your effect, the effectiveness of your life. God expects us to watch out for the corrosive effect of the enemy because he is insidious in his approach to our lives. What does it mean to be corrosive? To eat away at a foundation. That's what he does. He eats away at the foundation of victory on which you are standing. What does it mean to be insidious? It's anything intended to deceive or to trap in a stealth, seemingly harmless way. That's what he does. Take a snort of cocaine. You can't get hooked on cocaine by taking a pinch. Every junkie who has ever become a junkie started with one pinch of cocaine. He's insidious. 
The Lord wants his believers to stand on the victorious ground he created for us at the cross. We don't back down from the enemy. We don't go on the offensive against the enemy. I rebuke you, Satan. Yeah, okay. Satan, Satan laugh at you. It's like he has 900 guns pointing, pointing at you, and then you come out and say, I rebuke you, Satan, and then all the, the, his army looks at each other. Okay, who wants this fool? We don't go on the offensive. We stand on victorious ground. We take a stand by not giving the enemy an opportunity. 1 Peter chapter 5 warns us in verse 8, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Notice, he walks around like a roaring lion making a lot of noise. That's influence. Influence and noise intimidates. When I was taking Taekwondo, when we throw a punch, we would yell, because noise intimidates people. And so you need to be aware that that's what Satan is always trying to do. He's always trying to intimidate you with noise, with his influence, creating fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But we are to remember the Lord's words in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things I, the, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you, so that in union with me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, because that's how you get discipline. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, In every situation imaginable, we believers in Christ overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us unconditionally. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, we just studied it. Therefore, my divinely loved ones, keep on being steadfast. Keep on being immovable. Keep on abounding in the work of the Lord always, knowing that your labor is not in vain when you're in union with the Lord. Just as it is with believers, a church is always under attack from the enemy and his corrosive influence. And we have seen Satan encouraging. What have we seen Satan encouraging in the church at Corinth? Idolatry. Anything other than God. Worship that. Sexual immorality. Anything but what God recommends. God recommends sex and marriage. So we got a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, his father's wife. Divisiveness. Every man for himself, not togetherness. Social distancing. Stay away from each other at least six feet. Put on a mask so you can't see each other. Beautiful. Elitism. I feel so sorry for them. I feel so lucky to have what I have. I'm up here and they're down there. Isn't it awful? Women out of their roles against men. And you'll remember we were studying how women were going to the church with their head uncovered and women were calling their husband out in uh, services when they're to talk to their husband about things at home. Um, lack of concern for others. The, the church was full of mistreatment. Uh, people would, would be coming in late, didn't have enough time to eat, and there were people eating food and not sharing it. You remember these things that we've studied. Encouragement of unbelief, doubting God. The church in Corinth was right in Greece among all the Greek philosophers who were saying, there's no resurrection from the dead, is there? And just because we speculate about it, that means that it's questionable, right? No, it doesn't mean that it's questionable because you're stupid. It means that you are challenging an irrevocable 
fact, something that actually happened that cannot be changed under any circumstance. You can question it all you want to, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. So instead, Paul is encouraging the first century Corinthian believers to align with Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says this, The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us believers in Christ lay aside the deeds of darkness, and let us pick up and put on the armor of light. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. All that you do must be done in unconditional love. The Beatles were right. All you need is love. Love is the answer to the Corinthian believers' rivalries, to their lawsuits, to their elitist mistreatment of the have-nots at the Lord's Supper, the improper use of their spiritual gift, glorying tongues over prophecy, their selfish desires to eat idle food since it could destroy fellow Christians who were immature and turn off unbelievers from wanting a relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. Now I, Paul, urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, the region near Corinth, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. The Corinthian church was started in Stephanus' house in Achaia, a province in southern Greece, and it spread like wildfire. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16? He said, Nor did I, Now, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone because the Corinthians were talking about, Oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and they were factioning in their divisiveness. Stephanus was self selfless. Starting a church was voluntary duty. And how do we know? Because nobody in their right mind would ever be a deacon. Nobody in their right mind would ever be a pastor. Pagan leaders are typically self-aggrandizing and self-serving, and there is nothing about being a deacon or a pastor that is about self. It's always about others. Paul thinks selflessness deserves honor. And I couldn't agree with him more. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, what Paul said about himself? He said, For though I, Paul, am a free man, free from bondage to all men, I have made myself a slave to all men, so that I may win more men for Christ. That's what pastors do. That's what deacons do. That's what committed Christians do. We make ourselves slaves to the master. What Paul is saying so religion, on the other hand, is about power over others. Religion is about control of others. And every unbeliever knows it. It's just that they always blame it on man. Religion is man-made. No, it isn't. Religion is God-made and Satan counterfeited. There is one religion in the world and it's Judaism. And God created it. And Satan took it and counterfeited it. And he has changed it and distorted it into the, the most disgusting things ever. And what he's saying, in essence, is what, how do you want to worship God? You can worship in any way you want. You can do it. There are all roads lead to God. No, they don't. One road leads to God, Jesus Christ. But eventually, what the deceiver is going to do is lead everybody into one world religion, and he's going to say, if you don't worship that religion, you must die. He is a con artist, a cockroach. So 
Paul is saying some things here. Here, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. Now I, Paul, urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, the region near Corinth, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. What Paul is saying here, because we're going back to that, is to listen to some, to some just as you would listen to him. Don't branch off with them, though. Be grateful for them and others like them, but listen to them. It is God who picks out those who serve. Stephanus is described as first fruits, that which is best of a crop, with more to come. He started the church, and more crops came. More believers came. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 16. I urge you that you also be subject to such men as these and to everyone who helps in the work and labors of the Lord. Selfless love, real love, is not selfish. We are to honor the selfless ones. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5? It says, love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking. And what he's talking about is physical presence, face-to-face interactions. Those of us who are part of Barah Ministries who have been a part of the homecoming celebrations and the conferences know exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. We love getting together as a congregation, non-resident and resident together, because there's something special about being together and experiencing unity face to face. Now Paul closes with a greeting. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia, especially Ephesus, where Paul is writing from, greet you. Aquila and Prisca, her real name is Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord with all the members of the church that is in their house. As a reminder, Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, so they shared a profession with Paul as well as a spiritual life. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers and sisters greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, a kiss of love among acquaintances. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that as believers in Christ, they are part of a family, the body, the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21. The greeting is in my own hand, that of Paul. Paul has had other letters that were written by scribes who were following him around, but this one he penned with his own hand. This is Paul's signature of personalization. Then he concludes with an admonition, a benediction, and love. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, first class condition if, if and it's true, if anyone does not love the Lord, and clearly some don't, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, which means God is present and God is coming again. 1 Corinthians 16, 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The sphere of grace, which God surrounds us with. A geodesic dome of grace. And in that dome is forgiveness and unconditional love. That is what Paul invokes 
for the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 16:24, My unconditional love be with you also, all you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Amen. So our next journey in Scripture will take us to Colossae, a little one-horse town on a trading route. And Paul's four-chapter letter to the Colossians. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for more of the Lord's righteous direction through the Apostle Paul. Thanks very much for what we learned from Corinthians. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are for anyone who is here without a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. When you hear the words, God wants you, they should hit you like a ton of bricks. You are special to God. If you decide to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are even more special according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, which says, See how great an unconditional love God the Father has given us believers in Christ that we would be called children of God the Father. And in fact, we are children of God the Father. This message is your invitation to become a child of God as well. There are people in the world, and you may be one of them, who describe themselves as atheists. An atheist is a person who says there is no supreme being. After hearing these opening comments, an atheist might say, there is no God. God doesn't exist. Philosopher Blaise Pascal, in what is known as Pascal's Wager, says that human beings bet with their lives that God either exists or he does not. And Pascal is right. So if you're an atheist you would do well to at least consider what the Bible has to say about this issue. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God from birth. Romans 3.10 says, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. It is written. Even though people think the Bible is just a bunch of stories, The Apostle John makes the function of the Bible crystal clear. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in Him, you may have the resurrection life in His name. The Bible is a guide designed to give you the truth. Since atheists are created creatures, human beings, they would do well to be curious about exactly what the Bible is proposing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's horrible news for an atheist. The good news is that the Lord has an interesting attitude toward all of his creatures, even those who think there is no God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, including atheists, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not God's plan that any of his creatures would perish. What is God's plan for unbelievers, especially the atheist? 
The Bible claims that God exists and that God lives in heaven. How can you get to heaven? If you're an atheist and you think Pascal was right, then there's no downside to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. God's plan for the unbeliever is outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is an atheist's acknowledgement that there is a God and it might be smart to have faith in him. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. No creature can do a thing to get to heaven on his own. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God's grace makes your salvation a free gift to you. If you have to work for a gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there's no way for you to impress God enough that he would want to allow you to save yourself. It's very wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in God the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is this God who saves you? He's the only being ever resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, reminds us of the words of Old Testament prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. If you're an atheist, I encourage you to keep on investigating to see if you're right about there being no God. And if you're not right, and you think there may be a God, there's plenty of room for you in heaven. Well, let's close with music, a tribute to all those fathers whose children know them as daddy. Here's June Murphy to sing about the ultimate father, God the Father, in her song, Father, I'm Yours. Father, I'm yours, your wanted child. You chose me for your very own. Father, I'm yours. 
child You sent Christ to be My cornerstone As you want a child Your love's not like the love of man You love unconditionally In your grace I stand Father, I'm yours Your wanted child You took pride in Adopting me Father, I'm yours Your wanted child Your perfect plan Has set me free As your wanted child I'm yours, you give me your best My destiny's in your hands I'm at peace
Let's close with words of worship for our Almighty God. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of His glorious riches, both of the wisdom of God the Father and of the knowledge of God the Father, how unsearchable are His judgments and how unfathomable are His ways. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Keep on being made complete by God. Keep on being comforted by God. Keep on being like-minded. Keep on living in peace. And the God and Father of unconditional love and peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 15, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for fathers, especially for the ones who have made themselves daddy, especially for the ones who are emulating you in being great planners and providers and protectors, those who are fully present with their children. Bless them and keep them. Announce them to the world. Let our eyes see that there are men such as these. And let them get the honor that they deserve on this day and every day. Father, protect us as we go forward this week. Open our spiritual eyes to see the needs around us. Help us to live with the unconditional love toward others that you have toward us. And to provide for the salvation and sanctification of those with whom we come in contact. We ask this for the, through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.